Okay, well, we are live. Welcome, welcome, everyone. So glad to have you on this LinkedIn Live. This is Dr. Michelle Rosen, the Change Doctor, and I am so excited to have here Lisa Walsh with me. And today, we're going to talk about breaking the leadership barrier, how inclusion drives diversity at the top. And I'm so excited to talk to you about it, Lisa. But first, I want to introduce you to everyone. So guys, Lisa Walsh is a managing partner at MaryTrack. Um, Mary Tark, with over 20 years of HR experience in the financial services industry, including roles as U.S. Head of HR for Scotiabank, SVP of Leadership Development at Bank of America Merrill Lynch, and a, a lot of other variety of global HR leadership roles at CIBC and Deutsche Bank. So welcome, Lisa. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Good so to be glad. Here. So glad to have you. And what could be more important than to talk about breaking the barriers to diversity, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think that we're in a really kind of momentous time and have been for a little while in terms of really changing that narrative a bit and getting the emphasis on it. Um, that really wasn't around even when I was sort of growing up on Wall Street, so to speak, what that looked like when I had first started versus what it's like today is really a dramatic, a dramatic difference. So let's talk about that difference. Let's start with, let me ask you this, what is diversity and inclusion for you today? Yeah, so I get asked this a lot just from the work that we do because we throw around these terms, right? Diversity, inclusion, equity, parity, right. what are all these things mean? And for me in its simplest terms, hopefully, diversity is really the mix of people that you have, female, male, we're talking about gender diversity, we're talking about neurodiversity, ethnic diversity, multicultural diversity. So that's really the mix of who physically is sort of showing up at the table or within yeah. the organization team conversation. And then the inclusive piece is really about how do you really create a sense of belonging for that yeah. mix? Yes, I love that. I love that. And, you know, it's so interesting because I feel, and tell me if you feel the same way, that we sort of live today in a culture of overlabeling. Um, you know, and, and everybody has to have a label and then we say to ourselves, okay, all these people have all these labels and now we have to, um, you know, be, you know, very diversity oriented and include all those people. And I kind of feel many times that the problem starts a lot of times with the over labeling, because when we talk about diversity and inclusion, to me, a lot of times we talk about tolerance and acceptance, and it's not necessarily related to the, first of all, acceptance of people just as they are, you know, just having that tolerance to people before we even go into labels. What do you think about that? I agree, right? We overthink things. We over-engineer things generally. And unfortunately, inclusion, diversity, solving challenges within that domain isn't immune to those hurdles that we we sort of self-impose and we create right. in a lot of right. ways, right? right? And the labels, I mean, as an HR professional, I don't know if my other colleagues feel like that out there, but I feel like it's even getting harder to understand the unintentional landmines you might be embarking on by just merely having a conversation. 
Right. I use the right labels. Did I say the latest term? Did that change overnight? Am I right? And it's just really, it's over-engineered. It's complicated. And a lot of it, I'm sorry to tell us, spoiler alert, it's self-imposed. It is. It is. Tell me what, and by the way, to everyone that is joining us, this is a discussion. Come and share your comments with us. We love to hear from you. Um, this is just us pausing in the middle of life and saying, let's talk about being better, doing better when it comes to diversity and inclusion. Um, so please share any comments that you have with us. We promise to, you know, have you in the conversation and we want to have you in the conversation. I love um, Likewise, we welcome everyone. Yes. Let's start there. Um, I love that attitude and that approach. That's the, that's the, that's our way. So where does it meet you in your own life, Lisa? Um, what has been your experience over the years um, when it comes to diversity and inclusion? Yeah, you know what? It's so funny you say that because at this at the top of the show, we started talking about, um, I or at least I did, I said how dramatically different Wall Street is. So I spent my career growing up on Wall Street. I started out there over 20 years ago, and I just left to create this firm, Meridark, just a few short years ago. So that's where I spent the majority of my career. And in so many ways that it's changed, a lot of it still has so much more to go because it also conjures kind of the opposite memory to that comment of I'm the proud mother of two young girls. And just a couple of years ago, I was at home doing some work and catching up on stuff and trying to watch a movie with the family, but multitasking a little bit. And my daughter looked over at what I was doing and saw, saw our executive leadership chart out. Um, and she picked it up and she looked at it. And then she looked at me and said, Mama, you are the only woman on this chart of right. people like that was her immediate observation at such a young age there was a lot of other data on that chart like names and titles and departments and that was the first observation yes so as much as i say things have changed a lot of things still have a long way to go and when we talk about inclusivity i do find this uh still very prevalent still very prominent barrier at the leadership levels and statistics will back that up of course and you know all the stuff that we're familiar with but i also have direct experience with that as well and so i think that's where the drive and the passion comes to really try to share my experiences um very directly um with other professionals and colleagues and how we can continue to break through those barriers. And part of it, I learned through black eyes, proverbially speaking, and, you know, learning, learning in really painful and difficult ways sometimes. But if we can clear paths for other people to have less of a hardship with getting to those types of levels or having those types of opportunities, I just, I'm here for it. And I love it. I'm here for it too. You know, I have the same experience uh, on the speaking circuit. Um, first of all, most of the speakers I'm finding are guys. So this is a heavily, you know, male dominated field. And um, there aren't that many uh, women among us, uh, definitely a lot more guys. And then the higher the leadership team that I go to speak to, the more, you know, it would be 80% men, 70%. Men, and here's something interesting, and tell me what you think about this. So a lot of times I would come in, and the vast majority of C-suite would be guys, yep. but a lot of times the CEO would be a woman, or the you know SVP 
would be a woman. So I'm looking at this over time and I'm telling myself, I do see a change, yes. but it's very subtle and it takes time. It does. Yeah. It does. And we can't force it. And I think that's a really good kind of lesson to resonate, not lesson, but I think that's a really important theme to resonate with all of us that we can't really force this change. We can't take decades of it being one way and just a really short truncated period right. of making it into a different way. It's right. going to take time. It will take time. And we have a comment from Robert and Robert says, um, why do we use the term tolerance? We should not be tolerating coworkers. You're so right, Robert. Um, if I lack tolerance, I don't need more tolerance. Instead, I need more education. I don't need to tolerate people who are different in the workplace. I need to be more driven by work ethic, not work ethnic, gender, or religion. And I want to talk, Robert, exactly about what you're pointing up, but I want to talk to you, Lisa, and everyone about how we get from tolerance to deep acceptance of our differences, you know, and, and how do we get that buy-in, not from here, because we know it's the ethical thing to do, it's the right thing to do, but from deep in our gut, because we truly understand that we are different and this is what's so beautiful about us. So let's talk a little bit about this, Lisa, you know, mind biases, the things that cause us to get impatient with other people when they are so different from us, judge them so quickly because they're different from us. And then on the other hand, how do we get that bigger buy-in from deep in our gut to be just truly more accepting um, people? Yeah, there. it's much akin to anything else you're trying to do, whether it's become more fit or read more books or become more educated, whatever it may be, it's through really, really hard work. If we're all expecting to kind of sit back and kind of just organically absorb going along with the momentum and changing, I don't think that that is going to be really successful. And I know it sounds trite. But something to experiment with is un the unconscious biases. So if you're in corporate culture, especially, um, and really if you're in the 21st century at this point, we, we talk a lot or hear the term a lot about unconscious biases, right? And so we know generally what that term means, but there there's like, I mean, Michelle, you would know better than I, but there's like over 180 different yes. types of unconscious yes. biases. True. Yep. You might think it's a handful, it's over 180. And when you yes. think about how overwhelming that number in and of itself is, how can we possibly, even as fellow professionals, sit here and convey that we have a strong mm. command over 180 unconscious biases yes. naturally because we're aware they exist. True. Um, so you, I think you really have to work at it. I think you have to get humble and I think you have to get out, which is hard for people to do. Let's just start there. I think you have to get humble and kind of get out of the denial and experiment and get uncomfortable even is another word I would use. Like envision something that I try to do to really break through because I struggle with this as much as anybody else is I really try to carve out some time in my day if I'm going to uh, an important meeting or uh, a larger gathering or there's just some sort of event and I really try to envision what I think is going to play out Who's going to say what, when, what might be the outcome? And then I purposefully try to go into that meeting to drive something different. 
I love that. What I would usually do, and I thought about that ahead of time, and it would be like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to do next. And then when I go to do that next, I purposefully try to do something different, not, not, not authentic to who I am, just something different than what I might naturally go to instinctually at first. I love that. I love that. It's so important. And you know, when we think about mind biases, and it's such an interesting topic, um, and everyone, I'm openly sharing with you because I'm always open and genuine and authentic with all of you that I'm recovering from a cold. So if you see me having a cough drop or I'm muting myself and coughing, it's because I'm better, but I didn't want to miss today. And I'm so glad to be with all of you, but I am recovering from a cold. So that's a part of life. I don't have COVID. <laughs> Even if I did, it didn't matter because we're virtual. Yeah, but all colds are COVID. Isn't that COVID? You can't catch it from me. But um, so I just wanted to share that. Um, that's why I'm sipping tea and having cough drops. And occasionally, thank you. I am already doing better. Um, just glad to join all of you. That already makes me healthier and happier. So um, with mind biases, the thing is this. So yeah, Lisa, like our mind is playing tricks on us. And everyone, our mind is playing tricks on us. Your, your mind is playing tricks on you in the way you perceive yourself and in the way you perceive other people and in the way you perceive the reality of your life just because your mind wants to self-justify and basically keep you doing the same things because you're right, Lisa, every time we're going to do something different, every time we're going to make that mental effort get uncomfortable, it's very costly to our mind, to the brain in terms of energy, right? right. We have to work harder to do something different. And so the brain doesn't is not crazy about the idea of spending all that extra energy. And so the brain says, you know, how about how about we just stay stuck? How about that? How about we keep doing, you know, so if we're used to judging people, getting impatient with people, um, you know, um, self-justifying, we're just going to keep doing that. And I want to share with everyone just just a flavor of mind biases, because you're right, Lisa, they're so powerful and how they basically impact our behavior and our choices, especially when it comes to diversity and, and inclusion, that it's mind blowing just to realize. So for, exa so for example, <clears throat> um, there's a mind bias around um, the information gap. And that basically means that I know a lot about me. I know what my days look like. I know what my life looks like. I know how much I struggle to put myself together every day and do the things I need to do. I don't know anything about the other person. So guys, I don't know anything about Lisa, right? I don't know. So if Lisa, who's the nicest person ever, is going to be not nice to me one day, which I'm sure she never will, but you know, let's say for the sake of discussion, right? I'm going to assume all these things. I'm going to make up in my mind all these things about Lisa that are totally not true, okay? Just because I don't want to deal with not knowing, okay? My brain hates uncertainty. So I'm going to say, oh, you know, Lisa did this to me because A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. I just made up a whole story and I'm going to swear by it and I'm going to be convinced by it. And based on my own made up story, I'm actually going to do some things in real life. That's scary. That's scary because, because I just made up this whole story because for the, for the mere reason that I don't know. And so when we talk about, you know, Robert, when you say, I want to, don't want to be tolerated, I want to be celebrated. When we talk about acceptance, you know, we also talk about giving other people the benefit of the doubt. I mean, how many times a day do we make up stories about why clients don't call us back, why family members annoy us, why, you know, people didn't smile at us, you know, it's, it's kind of scary. It is, it is. I mean, 
you think about your relationships and one of, they're all so different and all of our styles and personalities are so different. But unfortunately, one of the threads that sometimes ties us together is a natural sense of defensiveness. Right. And that surfaces all the time and so much at work. Um, it's almost to the point where when your phone rings, you're irritated just by the mere fact that somebody is reaching out. Like they haven't said a word. You don't know who it is. Yeah. But the phone is just wrong. Yeah. And you've got another to do. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. And then, and then, and then you address this other other person with this sense of lack of patience, yeah. you know. So, what do you think? Talking about mind biases alone. So, everyone, what Lisa and I are defining here in terms of what mind biases are, it's ways in which your brain is playing tricks on you, okay, just so that you won't have to change anything, just so that you can keep. So, if you're used to being, you know, judgy, you're going to keep being judgy. And your brain will find ways to self-justify that. You're going to say, I'm not judgy. Me? Judgy? Never. I'm the most tolerant person that is. There is. It's this other person that are a total problem. And I'm like the victim because I'm stuck with them. And I'm actually a wonderful, tolerant person. So it's not just about gender. It's not just about race. It's not just about, um, you know, religion, you know, almost, I want to say we're more careful with these things, but we're so quick to judge other people, exclude them, um, be not, not accepting towards them in everyday situations. Where, that. where do you see that? Where do you encounter that Lisa, where you just see this especially after the pandemic, when there's so much burnout, lack of tolerance, patience, acceptance as a general tone. Unfortunately, I think I'm seeing it everywhere with clients, yeah. with my own experiences, because there's just this saturated sense of burnout. Yes. Generally speaking, exhaustion. And when you're not at your best, when you think about not getting any sleep the night before, multiply that times the phase that I think we're all in of collective exhaustion. Yes. And so I feel like you have this bombardment of all of these intersecting negativities kind of happening at once and it's tough to manage through. So I'm feeling a really excessive pattern. I don't know if all of you are or Michelle, you are, but of this need to remind everybody that I work with and myself included assume positive intent, assume positive intent. Yes. And sort of this internal mantra for yourself to get through the day because you don't want to be part of it and you're observing it happening everywhere and you just don't want to be a part of it. And I also loved how you said it's not gender specific. It's not even ethnically specific. Let's even take that one step further and play around with it to a completely inanimate object. When you think about how hard we have to work at inclusivity and positive intent, think about it as, as it relates just to your standard workload. I've been finding myself doing this a lot lately too, and I don't know if all of you are, but there's a term for it and it's called revenge procrastination. Yes. Have you heard of it? Like, so. Tell us what it is. Tell us what it is. <laughs> basically, by way of example, when I have a really tough, challenging work assignment ahead of me where I may be using 95% of what I know and 5% of like, oh my God, I'm sorry, 5% of what I know and 95% of, oh my gosh, how am I going to get this done? Yeah. What am I going to do? I'm really not the right person for this. How am I going to figure it out? You're, you're feeling really overwhelmed, but it's your primary to-do item for the day and you've got to get going. Well, you know what I'm going to do instead? 
I'm gonna I'm gonna scrub my toilet bowl because you know why? I have agency over that toilet bowl. I know how to do it. Yeah. Do it really yeah. Well. So yeah. I never did folding the laundry, scrubbing the toilet bowl, or reading that book or whatever. Look, looks so good. It's it's never looked better. And so you start picking up those other things to do without even realize that you're realizing that you're sort of choosing the things that you're really comfortable with, that you know you know how to do really well, and you're clearly avoiding that discomfort of like, I don't know if I'm good at this. Yes. I'm going to kind of avoid doing it. Yes. Yes, you're so right. And I just want to pause for a minute and, and read, share with everyone what Mark is saying. Uh, what I'm observing is a throwback to the 80s around diversity where individuals are put in positions based on diversity, not qualifications. It goes right down to the employment and college applications. Thank you. I agree with you. Where you are required to answer ethnicity, ethnicity questions. This has been bothering me, Mark, for the longest time. I get annoyed every time I'm asked about my race because I think to myself, why is it any of your business? Why is it relevant? Why is it okay to ask? What do you think, Lisa? I think uh, assume positive intent. I think okay. it's okay to ask, and I think it's okay to decline. I think all okay. of that is okay to a certain extent. And I don't want to dilute. What was the gentleman's name that was writing in? Mark. Mark, I don't want to dilute your concern at all because I totally get it. I feel the same way. I'm constantly, and even my <clears> girls <throat> as they're growing, they're like, what do I check? And it's a whole conversation. What do you want to check? Do you even yeah. want to check it? And so I get it. But what my ask would be is like, let's all try to be patient through this. Let's all try to assume positive intent that it's coming from a good place so that there are just facts for people to work on, not decisions to be made based off of that check mark, not discriminatory sort of actions to have happened because of that record, but information can be power sometimes. Information can be education sometimes. And if an apathy, a perceived apathy of not even asking to begin with, could have its own negative effects as well. So maybe ask, assume positive intent, and be totally comfortable with declining. You you don't have to do it, and people don't really have the right, so to speak, but sometimes don't you want people to ask, and then when do you ask, when do you not ask, and so. <coughs> I'm sorry, sorry. Um, <laughs> sorry, everyone. Um, it's a great question, and Mark is saying, if you decline, assumptions are made. Um, I think it takes us to back to the point of over classifying and the history of classifying us by gender. I, I also get really uncomfortable. I, I get really uncomfortable when I'm asked because I think to myself, why do you need to know? And yeah. now we get to the point also that, you know, um, it's not okay to ask about gender. And I, I actually found myself in a situation where I was filling in a form and I was very, um, clearly given the option not to specify my gender in a very respectable way it was I choose not to, I don't know, there was like a, an option, a very respectable option for me not to classify my gender. Um, but then with race, I didn't get that option. And so very interesting. So in a really interesting way, I was observing that we're making greater headways with maybe because of a lot of changes in the last few years when it comes to inclusion, diversity, and acceptance on a gender basis made quicker headways than diversity, inclusion, and acceptance on a race basis. And there's something historic there that is still sort of stuck and still there. 
um, that I'm not, that I'm sort of seeing dissipating maybe with the great impact of Gen Z, you know, and their impact on gender perception compared to, um, race. And it's very, very interesting. I cannot wait to see research and I'm sure there will be on why, why there is such a big gap in progress of acceptance, gender versus race. And Kay is saying with platforms like LinkedIn, it's a lot more easy to discriminate and or and or hire based on race, gender, and sometimes sexuality goes both ways. I agree 100%. Um, Lisa, you were talking about something before that I really want to go back to because it was so fascinating and interesting and important. You were talking about um, the effort, the mental effort that we have to put forward um, when um, we have to be our best selves, when we have to not judge and accept and how much effort um, it takes. And then you were talking about burnout and how when we're burned out, we sort of like, we're not, we don't have the mental budget to make that effort. And so, and so this is really interesting because um, I think we have to talk about burnout also in the context of um, inclusion and acceptance, because I had this um, mental image that I want to share with you and everyone. And you tell me what, what you think about it. You know, I was sharing it with um, the attendees at one of my presentations. And I said, you know, what if we thought about somebody who's burned out, like somebody who's bleeding? So he's, th that person's injured. So, you know, if you were to step out of your doorstep and you see this person standing in front of you and the person's like bleeding all over. Okay. And, and you looked at that person and you said to your, to the person, I can't believe you're bleeding on my doorstep. This is so annoying. You know, I, I can't, I can't handle this right now. And, and I, I really don't have the patience for this right now. So could you please take like your, your blood and all of your like injuries and could you, could you please go somewhere else? Because I don't have time for this today. That she would never do that, right? You would talk to the person in a soft voice and you would be very caring and you would know exactly what your role is. And you would call 911 and you would say, sir, don't worry, or ma'am, don't worry. You know, help is on the way. I'm right here next to you. But when someone is emotionally bleeding in front of you because they're burned out and they're irritated, agitated, you know, someone in pain, you would get very judgy with them right? And you would um, not show the same level of tolerance. What do you think about that, Lisa? I totally agree. I mean, we're visual beings, right? The visual example that you just provided is so obvious to all of us. And this kind of like um, sort of intangible other aspects of communicating and working with one another and tone and energy is so less visual and tangible. So um, what, what do you think someone should do? If I'm encountering someone, again, I'm putting race and gender and all these good things aside for a minute, person to person, whoever that person is, I'm dealing with someone, a client, a vendor, a coworker, a fellow parent at my kid's school, does not matter, right? Who is intolerable, okay? This person is so annoying, so, oh, that person, okay? The uh, person, the person that gets on your nerves. They're not nice, they're not patient, they're not respectful, 
You don't know why. Because a person who's burned out, you don't know why. You know, you don't know why they're not nice. They're just not nice. They're agitated, irritated. Um, what, what do you think I should do? When we talk about acceptance, how should I approach that person? Yeah, you mean we don't just to give get to give up, Michelle? We we can't just be like I'm just gonna. I mean, we can. I mean, because <laughs> I know that we, we could. Um, it would be a lot of fun. It's very right. easy. Right, right. Yeah, right. Um, I think it's really, uh, it's going with the theme of the conversation. It is trying to assume positive intent in the next layer down with really digging deep and getting into empathy. I yes. think it's, it's really digging that next layer Yeah, harder to get to than to even immediately assume positive intent. Cause that's hard. You got to go deeper. Like the yeah. more resistant, the deeper you have to go to reach into empathy and empathy can be defined in so many different ways. But what resonates with me and is an immediate reminder is the action of understanding. Yes. yes. How am I going to act? Yes. To meet this person where they are and to show them, I understand how to be with them right now. And as leaders, you know, we're here to serve. Um, and it's not about us. So when we're dealing with someone who is, it's very easy to say, annoying, impossible. You know, I feel Lisa that in today's uh, digital age, the age of TikTok, people are so quick to diagnose other people, which is another form of diversity and inclusion. You know, when, um, when we talk about mental health and mental wellness, um, I hear so often, and I don't know what's been your experience, but I hear so often from different level, uh, different level uh, levels within the leadership team or within different teams. I hear different people saying, oh, this person, he is so, or she is so, and then there's this whole diagnosis, totally TikTok, Instagram, whatever based. I don't know what it's based on, but you know, because in, in psychology, di diagnosis has criteria that are usually not so commonly known to the public, um, which sort of excuses the other person excuses. If it was me, right. It would excuse me from any responsibility because this person is, you know, has this and then impossible to deal with. Um, and so I feel that also within mental health, there is a tremendous amount of work to do. A, tre a, a tremendous amount, only through one of the really great, I think, illuminating kind of epiphanies for our society was decreasing, not eliminating, but decreasing the negative stigma on mental health because yeah. it became so immediately concentrated and ubiquitous, whereas before it was more pocketed and felt isolated and that's over there and I'm over here. Um, and so that's one of the positive things that I think has been that I think has emerged from the pandemic is an increasing sense of awareness for it, education, things that our guests have been talking about and chatting in on, right? It's about education, awareness, how do you have thoughtful conversations and intentional kind of um, partnerships around these challenges, et cetera. So I think, I, I think you're absolutely right. Mental health is a big issue. I'd like to think that it is emerging with more understanding than it ever has been in the past. And I think as much as it pains me to say, because it puts the onus on us and it definitely puts the onus on leaders. When people are coming with their worst, you have to dig deep and give them your best. Yeah. Meeting positive intent doesn't work. You go back with, you go down into empathy and 
having actions. And I'll give you really tactical tools that have been semi-successful, I think, um, yeah. for some things when I'm in a real pinch and I'm not sure how to react. What almost always diffuses that kind of intensity is, how can I help? Is there yeah. like, how can I help? Just those three words, like, how can I help? I can see that you've got a lot going on. How, how can I help? I love and that. And if they snap back with something equally intolerable, you know, at that point, a gentle, what did you mean by that? Yes. Because my perspective is X, Y, Z. And it just sort of continue to push that conversation along as productively as possible. Okay, Lisa, I love that because I, it's so important what you just said. Um, how can I help? Those three words, open doors to discussions. And what do you mean mm -hmm. shows that you truly listen and not only that you truly listen, you're genuinely trying to understand where I'm coming from. It's so important. And Mark is saying, uh, put the ghost on the table and call them on it and share this, what I'm observing. Am I wrong? And Wanda says, it's also important to show the other person that you want to understand them and their situation so they can also see your good intentions. And what I want to add to that, Wanda, is that you can't, you can't fake this. You know, yeah. you have to be truly, genuinely, authentically interested in helping people. And Lisa, I would add another question to your two great questions. Another very simple question is because we tend to assume so much about other people, other races, other genders, other religions, other, um, um, other people that may be experiencing a lot of pain and we don't even know, we don't know what they're going through. It's always good to ask yourself, how do I know? How do I know? You know, we make up so much stuff about other people, about other races, about other genders, about, you know, we assume so much about, and then based on that, we make some serious real life decisions. So that is the scariest part to me in, in diversity that to get the real, you know, buy-in to being more accepting. And I totally hear you, Mark, on, on the tolerance versus acceptance. So talking about acceptance, I'm, I'm completely with you 100%. I see exactly where you're coming from. Um, you really need to, we can't stop assuming things about other people because we do that around the clock. You know, there are a lot of gaps in information that we have about other people. So we constantly make up things. I, I catch myself. I, I research this. I write about this. And I still catch myself multiple times a day, Lisa, multiple times a day. I catch myself making up stories about other people and why they do what they do all the time. All right. So I don't think it can be stopped. Yeah, nobody needs to tell me. I know exactly what's happening, why it's happening, what they're doing. Exactly. Yeah, oh, I know. I yeah. know. I know for a fact. And now I'm going to make decisions as a result. So, <laughs> and the thing is this, just reduce the frequency, reduce the intensity, reduce the impact. Okay. That will be a dream. That's already wonderful. So you always ask yourself, how do I know? And in doing that, there is a process of becoming. So we become better leaders. We become better parents because we also assume a whole lot about our kids. We become better spouses. We become better team members. We become better people. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm sort of, um, I have an advantage there. And I think that it served me really well because how do I know is a frequent kind of recurring um, test that I give myself because 
Um, it may surprise some of uh, some of you that don't know me to learn that I'm adopted. So I grew up around a family of white people, a culture of, uh, of white, and I was the exception, so to speak, to acceptance because I'm surrounded by white people that accept me. New white people are going to accept me. And so the momentum continues. And so what's so unique is is that i've had sort of this own life case study that i think has served me really well as i've grown professionally and through my relationships is like people already make so many assumptions by just meeting me physically and really have no idea um you know don't judge a book by its cover is so, cover is sort of personified with me i've got a white name and then it's like oh you're lisa well yep that's me um and so I, it couldn't resonate more with, how do you know? You don't know. You think I, I, you know me just by looking at me and you don't know half of my story. So I'm gonna tell you something, Lisa, okay? So we did some prep work for our LinkedIn Live today. And then we're, we passed halfway through the LinkedIn Live and now you're sharing this. And I wanna tell you something about what you just said that is just amazing, okay? Just this story alone. Mm -hmm. demonstrates so much, so much more than anything you'll ever say, because that's it. That's it. I mean, you left me, you left me, you left me here understanding everything because to talk about diversity and inclusion coming from your background of having, you know, people make all these assumptions about you and then looking at it from the sidelines and saying, what do you even know? And so you take that story and you think about all the other things people don't know about you, all the other things people don't know about me, all the other things we don't know about each other. And it goes far above gender, race, background, what country you're from, what state you're from. You know, it's, it's so wide. So there is just so much that we don't know about other people. And we have a comment from Gonzalo and he says, um, no, we have your signature, Gonzalo. We don't have your comment. <laughs> now we need your comments. Come, but, the comments. But now you'll have to comment, Gonzalo. Because we have, have, you have your signature. <laughs> um, but Gonzalo, we don't assume anything. All we assume is that we want your comment and we want you in the conversation and we love that. Lisa, talk to me about the frosted, what you call the frosted glass ceiling. I wanna hear from you on that. So I love this, I love this because I think we are all familiar with the glass ceiling, um, maybe even that bamboo ceiling and other ceilings, but the frosted glass ceiling was revealed during a recent study that my firm Meridark conducted that was centered around diversity, equity and inclusion. And, um, you know, the process, um, we found that many of the respondents experienced biased managers and how much that really impacted their career path and progression. And a micro data point that emerged from that was the learning that the process for career advancement is as clear to a man at the age of 25 as it is to the to a woman at the age of 45. Oh, my goodness. And so I don't think that that is terribly surprising once you hear it, but it's like not only is there a glass ceiling potentially for gender disparity, but the ceiling is also frosted glass. Like we women don't always even know 
what career advancement looks like for them. How do they achieve it? What are some of the steps? Is it transparent to them as it is to a man? And it is not. Um, I agree. I agree. And Gonzalo, we have your comment. You're saying diversity is everything. It adds culture and experiences to the workforce to the workforce that bring real value to all organizations. And you're right, Gonzalo, because it is our differences that make us better. Why do we struggle so much, you know, to see it so many times? Um, Lisa, I want to talk to you about um, what you just said, because we're both working mothers. Okay. I have three kids. My uh, kids are now older, 24, 19, and 14. So I have one left at home and the two dogs. Um, but I've can't forget the two dogs. You cannot. Um, but um, throughout my entire career, through um, my master's and PhD um, that started at the age of 32, continued into my 40s, um, I was a working mom. And I want your, I want your message on this um, to young mothers out there that are saying things like, I can't, I wish I could. If this would happen, then I would do this. I want to talk about however we want to call that glass ceiling. I know that a lot of women are, I mean, listen, we said we're seeing a lot of men at the top. Yep. Still, it's 2022. Um, what did you do that worked for you? What are you seeing that works for others? Let's give a good encouraging message to some of those women that need to push. Yeah, I, I, I think it's so multifaceted to answer one part of your question. I think what worked for me a little bit, and I'm still trying to figure out what works for me, but what worked for me a little bit was, um, really trying to remain confident in my lane of expertise. I think as, as women, and for me personally, I have a tendency to do everything. Like I can do everything. I'll pick this up. I'll do that. I'll do this. I'll do that. And we're, we're sort of um, really natural at picking up a lot of different things. But I try to really not be resistant or non-collaborative, but be really confident and clear around what my lane of expertise was. Yeah. So that I could hopefully over time be viewed as a, a go-to person in that area, somebody to ask and advocate for and to advocate for others because it was clear. If I make it clear to others what I am good at and what I'm interested in and what I'm passionate about, my hope is, is that that has some positive momentum behind it. If I'm not clear to others, how would I expect others to be clear? And sometimes my tendencies of like, okay, I'll do that. Yeah, you want me to do this? Yeah, needs to be reined in. And so I really try to fight, like, let me stay in my lane of expertise. Let me try to be confident in that. Let me help here and there, but let me not be pulled in so many directions that I confuse others about what I have to offer and what my value is. I think you're hitting the nail on the head because one of the tendencies of women is to please so many people on so many fronts, right? You want to please the kids. You want to be a good mother. You want to be a good spouse. You want to be um, good at work. You want to be yeah. a good daughter. You want to be a good, um, you know, people are asking you for you for things at school and this and that, but there's so much that you can do. Um, you and I have uh, similar but slightly different uh, strategies. You're saying um, something very, very important. You're saying learn to say no. Okay. You have to focus on where you bring the most value and learn to block interruptions that will rob you of your time and focus and energy so that you can bring the most value at what you're best at, 
rather than being pulled in different directions, which is something that I feel that a lot of women struggle with. Um, I, in addition to that, also learned to forgive myself for a lot of things because along with saying no and focusing on what matters the most and where you can bring value the most, um, I found with myself that, I mean, if anybody's not a perfectionist and I have these conversations with my middle one who is, if anyone is not, and I tell her, if you want to be a top executive, which is what she wants to be, she goes to, uh, goes to a business school. I said, you won't be able to be a top executive. if You want to be perfect at everything. It's just, it's just not possible. And so there's this sense of forgiving yourself for your shortcomings. So when we talk about acceptance of others, let's not forget to also accept ourselves and to accept our own shortcomings. Um, I'm certainly at this point very well aware of mine. And if I am not aware of mine at any given point, my kids will surely remind me of my shortcomings. And so um, I learned to live at peace with that. And I very much resonate with you, Lisa, on focusing where you can bring the most value um, and the things that matter the most. So like you said before, when you're struggling to do something and you want to procrastinate, you're going to go do the things like, you know, you said, scrub the toilet, um, you know, do this, do that, do the things that are easy to do, but that's not the most valuable thing that you can do with your time. That's not where you bring the most value. You bring the most value at other things. And so it's really a refocusing things in terms of how do I break the frosted glass ceiling? How do I focus on what matters the most? Stop pleasing everyone. Learn to say no without feeling guilty about it and focus on what matters the most. And then Michelle adds, because I'm the least perfect person you'll ever meet, Michelle adds, <laughs> um, and forgive yourself. Forgive oh. yourself because you cannot, you cannot be perfect. Um, forgive when yourself and, and even more than, and even more maybe add on to that again, Michelle, like, don't even beat yourself up to them, no. right? Like don't even no. enter that zone. Yeah, I, I really appreciate I really appreciate that. And yes. also, also just in addition to not picking up too many things in different areas, it's also not picking up too many things in your area of domain too. Do a few things, a precious few things really, really well and pick up the next batch then versus overwhelming yourself. You know, it just really comes down to set yourself up, have the confidence to set yourself up for success. Right. We talk a lot about in organizations, yep. how can I set you, set you up for success? How do I, I set me question, up? How do I set me up for success? True. And so when we uh, talk about acceptance and we talk about accepting others as a form of becoming, right? We want to, we want to become more accepting. We want to overcome the past of, you know, where people tended to judge people a lot more that way. And we want to do something different. And that requires us. We talked about how burnout stands in our way of doing that, right? Because, and so I think we need to use this opportunity for whoever's listening to us right now and seeing us right now um, to stop, you know, and pause and say, this is an opportunity for me to think about how I do things. And it's not just about, oh, I need to be more accepting. Oh, you know, we need to be mindful of diversity. Oh, this is all here. I need to be more accepting from deep in my gut to myself and to other people. Because number one, everybody's burned out at this point, everybody, you know, and if 
Anybody here thinks that they're not burned out? Believe me, you're burned out. Everybody's burned out. You just don't know. It's like drug driving. You don't know that you're burned out. You're burned out. It's been a rough two years for everyone. Um, number two, you need to be good to yourself, good to others. Oh, yeah. Take care of yourself, take care of others. Same way that you're asking, you know, that Lisa's saying, ask, how can I help? How can I also help me? How can I feel better? What are you doing, Lisa, these days that help you feel better yourself? Um, I think, like I said earlier, just being more confident in yeah. voicing what is important to me, finding ways to protect that and not yeah. give it up so easily to yeah. please do support everyone else. It's kind of an example that one of my former colleagues and ultimately uh, executive and one of my leaders uh, said to me once, it's the proverbial kind of example of when you're on an airplane and it's it's terrible, but if things start yeah. going down in an airplane and the masks come down, yeah. you put the mask over your child first and then yourself. Um, who do you put the mask on first, yourself or your child? And so my motherly instincts are like my child. I put the mask over my child. And of course, it's not my child. It's me. Yeah. Because if I'm not functioning, if I didn't protect myself, I can't protect my child. So it's that you always have to really take care of yourself, which is so easy to forget. And you can be asked a ton of questions and still not be putting yourself first without even realizing it. It's so interesting that we came to the conclusion that here's step one to diversity and inclusion. First of all, self-care. Be kind to yourself. Accept yourself. Because you cannot be kind to other people and accept other people and be tolerant to other people when you're burned out. Because you'll be all over the place and you'll be short-tempered, upset, agitated, irritated. How can we talk about diversity and inclusion when we are in that mindset, you know? So step number one is we all have to stop and prioritize self-care, take care of ourselves, you know, understand that this, this mind, this body has been through whatever you've been through everyone in the last two years or decade or whatever, or this lifetime, um, find the time to be kind to yourself, to do something nice for yourself. Stop pleasing everyone. Stop running around, trying being pulled in different directions, learn to say no. And believe me, I tried this in my own life, because I was talking about it for a long time, researching it for a long time. And then I said, but I'm doing that. All right. So then I started doing it in my own life. And this is what I discovered that when you set boundaries to other people and you say, no, nothing happens. Only good things happen. Nothing. Nobody stops working with you, loving you. No, nothing happens. Only good things. You have more mental energy to be your best person. Right. And there, from there, we have the energy for being kinder to other people. I love that. I love that. And that's a reminder I have to give myself a lot is um, setting up boundaries is okay. Yes, especially, especially as women. I think it's a very important thing. Talk to me about, Lisa, your experience and your recommendations for mentorship. Yeah, so mentorship. I mean, mentorship is genuinely... So, so a couple of things. One, I think that there is a difference between mentorship and sponsorship a bit. Okay. I think just for clarity purposes, mentorship is when you kind of look up to somebody and you're looking to, for them to advise you. It can be life, it can be career, it can kind of be broad. Right. But that's kind of the ideal of mentorship. Whereas I think sponsorship is really more about who within your network can advocate for you. 
speak for you yes forums who has an important and influential seat at the table and you, you need more than one yeah. um, and mentors can be sponsors and sponsors can be mentors and you can have both or each in your life at, at, at other times but i think it's really really important that um that leaders especially and even just colleagues at all levels keep that at front of mind as a pri as a priority as much as of a priority as networking has become so when i first started out networking wasn't nearly as essential as it is today and i've unfortunately had a lot of catching up to do i didn't do a great job at it at the beginning and i slowly saw the value in it and i got more catching up to do and i would put mentorship at the top of that list too it's really important to lift other people up as you continue to climb through your career as well um, when we think about our personal lives and giving back to the community as well as working professionally, also think about mentorship as being equally important to your own medi meteoric, hopefully, rise uh, to where you want to go. It's important that you bring others with you. You are a servant to those that are within your community and how else you can help them. And it's a great way to include. I mean, when we talk about inclusion, being a mentor to someone is a great way to include people and uplift them from where they are to where they want to go. I love it. And I hope it's hopefully also just a really organic, safe space to have really good conversations. When we think about inclusion, that's a really safe, hopefully space to have conversations around interracial dynamics or yeah. other type of really sensitive topics that you're not going to necessarily want to broadly kind of broadcast. You may want a safer, more intimate, more trusted, close relationship to get guidance and education and training. Um, and some of the things, Mark, you were speaking to earlier in the session, that's a great channel and avenue to share that and spread that education and awareness for people. 100%. And Mark is saying, um, when we stop making assumptions about people at all levels, diversity will stop being an issue. Too many times decisions are made based on what if basis around diversity? And what do you think about that, Lisa? I think Mark is right. And yeah. part of what Meridark and my colleagues there are really focused on is what we perceive or what we perceive to be the missing links within a lot of human capital management, Mark. And that's transparency. That's transparency, 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 so that you can have career progression, so that you can make decisions around clear and equitable processes, not guts, instinct, popularity, kind of the thought of the day. You're making hopefully performance-based decisions, career advancements decisions, pay decisions um, around equitable facts and analysis versus gut and instinct, which I think happens still too much within the workforce. It's like gut and instinct and it's, you know, the table and the people around the table and what are they basing it on? And they didn't pull any data. It's just the last conversation I had with Lisa is sort of what I'm basing my thoughts on today. And that's a dangerous decision-making process. 100%. And Lisa, as we get ready to wrap up, I can't believe we're almost wrapping up because it's been so fun to talk to you. And this is such an important conversation um, to have, I feel today more than ever. I mean, we're talking about, there's so much going on in the workforce um, and, and that acceptance um, from deep in our gut, you know, is so important. 
um, when it comes to the great resignation. It's so important when it comes to burn dealing with burnout as leaders. It's so important to, um, you know, dealing with employee turnover. I mean, there's just so much that goes into this. And so this discussion is so important, but if you, uh, I know Mark, I agree with you. It went by way too fast because Lisa and I were having so much fun and I even forgot to cough again. That's it. I coughed one time and I was done for the session. So, so, um, what would be your one piece of advice? The most important piece of advice that you have to anybody that listened to us and says, you know what? I want to do better. I want to get up tomorrow and I want to do something different. And I do genuinely want to be more accepting. What should they do? Uh, well, let's just base it off of work because sometimes those dynamics are the toughest, but you can translate it into your personal life too. If you just reach out to somebody that is not in your network, get to oh, know yeah. them. Yep. And the first question is, what are you passionate about outside of work? Love it. It's really that simple. Just start yeah. there. Starting yeah. there is really, really, really powerful because it immediately connotes to the other person that you see them as a person. It's not like, oh, did you work with Lisa and Michelle on that project? How did the project go? And where did you work previously? Or like all of those, I'm not bashing or shaming people to have good conversations around there. But if there's one easy trick, grab somebody outside of your network that you know around the periphery, go grab a coffee or a tea together. And the first question can just be, so what are you passionate about outside of work? Love that. Guys, grab someone outside of your regular people that you always reach out to. Try something new. Try someone that is out of your comfort zone and get really curious with them. Ask them what they're passionate about. Take them out for coffee. Show genuine interest. And you got to be authentic about it. You have to be really curious about other people. And the things you'll find out about other people will fascinate you because people are fascinating. People you're right. And if you're not ready, put the conversation off until you are. You yes. Have to be authentic. If yes. you have any energy and you're not really ready for it, wait until you are. Wait for the right time. Lisa, you've been wonderful. Thank you to everyone who joined us today. We have a lot of good work to do when it comes to diversity, when it comes to inclusion, when it comes to acceptance of ourselves and of others. But we're work in progress and we're doing better. Thank you, Lisa. Have a great day, everybody. Take care. Thank, Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye.